Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hello, Channel Pros. Thank you for listening to the Channel Journeys podcast. So glad to have you here today. Not sure where you listen. I've heard people who tell me they listen in the commute, on the car, on the way to work, at the gym, walking the dog, wherever it might be. So glad to have you. Again, this is episode 29 of the Channel Journeys podcast. It's sponsored by my company, Channel Journeys Consulting where I'm helping SaaS companies build channels to scale faster. This is Rob Spee, your host, and today's guest is a channel builder, as well as an innovator, a mover, and a shaker. Niraj Satija was born and raised in India, then he moved to New Zealand to build a hugely successful telco company. After that, he moved to Austin, Texas, where he is now the CEO of Concordus Applications. Niraj is also the co-chairman at CompTIA on their Blockchain Advisory Council, and he is using blockchain to solve a very real channel problem around partner commissions. And it just turns out that blockchain technology is really well suited to what he's trying to do. You're going to learn why blockchain can do a lot more than just drive cryptocurrency and the potential it has for disrupting the channel. Let's find out how Niraj is about to shake up the channel with blockchain. Here we go. Hey, Niraj, good afternoon. Welcome to the Channel Journeys podcast. Really excited to have you on the show today. Hey, good afternoon, Rob. I'm excited to be here. Look forward to it. Excellent, excellent. Where do we find you today? In sunny Austin, Texas, uh, which is home and which is um, also the big Silicon Valley outside of Silicon Valley here in Texas. Yeah, the Silicon Valley of Texas. Awesome. Well, I don't hear a Texas accent, Niraj. Yeah, that's because I am a new Texan. I moved to Austin from New Zealand a couple of years ago. I'm here because I'm working on this very exciting company that's called Concordus Applications, which is a channel-focused system integrator, uh, along with a couple of uh, business partners of mine. Yeah, I think one of those business partners is Jeff Ponce, who I had on the podcast. You got it. Jeff is one of my business partners, and I'm excited to be working with Jeff and leveraging from his years and years and decades of channel experience and I guess leveraging that experience to create some automation for the channel. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff, for introducing us. So, Naraj, you missed a step. Most people moved to Austin from California. You just you just bypassed California. You got it, right? <laughs> Look, I could not afford California, otherwise I would have taken that route. Most of my neighbors here in Austin are from California, but in talking to them, I know that they are uh, going to be lifelong Texans now. Well, and you don't have a state income tax, so you got that going for you. That, and I don't know how many, I think it's over 240 days of uh, sunshine, which for most parts is really good, except for the months of July and August. <laughs> it's burning during those two months. Yeah, that's. I used to do a bike ride there called the Hotter in Hell yes. 100, yes, and, yes, it, and yes. it was. I'm aware of that bike ride. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, you've you've had a fun journey going from India to New Zealand to Austin, and you're working on a lot of interesting things. And our theme today, main theme, is around blockchain and what you're doing. And you and I had a bit of time to chat about that before, so I'm really interested in diving into blockchain, why you're working with it, how you're using it in your company, and 
you've even launched or in the middle of building another company based on blockchain or leveraging blockchain. You got it. Yes. Look, I think the right first question to have on blockchain, there is a lot of hype about blockchain, but unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. So a lot of people I speak with around this topic equate blockchain with Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And it's a lot more than, than just Bitcoin. Bitcoin and all the cryptocurrencies that you may be familiar with were built on top of the blockchain framework. But blockchain is, is essentially an architecture that's designed to remove the third party or the intermediaries from any business workflow. So I did not go working with blockchain or did not start this project that you alluded to because blockchain was the biggest hype, we actually stumbled onto it. So we had a business case which required quick settlements and required dealing with multiple stakeholders. And we were looking for the right technology solution for that. And that's how we stumbled onto blockchain. But blockchain is not a silver bullet for every industry and every use case. Its relevance for your scenario needs to be carefully considered. And if blockchain is relevant for your scenario, its magic is not only in the technology, but in how it can improve inefficient business processes that are typically slow, error-prone, expensive, often paper-based, and heavily people-dependent. I guess having said that, let me just give you a quick executive summary of what blockchain really is. That would be helpful. I think just to level set all of us, that would be great. Yeah. So blockchain is a decentralized global public ledger that is capable of securely recording digital transactions between two peers, irrespective of their location. So it does not matter if you're in the same city same country, or even the same continent. Two entities could be sitting anywhere across the world, and they can trade with each other through the use of a blockchain-based platform. When you say it's a global public ledger, public meaning that anyone can have access to that, what's in the ledger? Anyone with the right authority. So there are lots of, within blockchain, there are lots of architectures, but at a high level, it can be categorized into public, private, and hybrid. But essentially, the crux of all those architectures is only people with the right level of authority and access controls would be able to access those transactions. Okay, good. Thanks. The other key thing with blockchain is that it enables tokenization tokenization of any form of value that's owned by you, whether it is money, property rights, energy, votes, etc. And when that thing of value is digitized and it's put on a blockchain framework, which you know decentralizes it and tokenizes it, it can then be securely traded through that blockchain framework peer-to-peer -peer across the world. So I don't think it will be an exaggeration to say Blockchain enables disruptive innovation democratically for that reason. So expand on that one. Why is that? So think of the current state of the IT systems, Rob. Okay, so when you want to trade something of value with somebody else, how do you go about it? How do you go about, for example, selling your house? Or how do you go about casting a vote? or anything of value, right? You typically have a trusted broker or an intermediary like a bank or a financial institution or the election commission, right? Something 
that facilitates that trade between right. you and the other stakeholder, right? In the case of you voting, it's between you and the election commission or, or you know, so the stakeholders are you and the new elected government that, that you are going to vote for. And when you cast your vote, it goes through that platform that, that acts as the intermediary, right? Likewise, with the sale or purchase of a house or any real estate, you typically go through title companies or, or financial institutions that lend you money and then facilitate the transfer of the title of deed mm-hmm. from the buyer to seller and vice versa, right? Now, most of our IT systems are built keeping that third-party public trusted broker in mind, right? So all our majority of our IT systems today work where the two systems interact with that trusted broker. I guess that's how the workflows are orchestrated. By the virtue of having the blockchain framework, you can securely talk to the other peer, the other stakeholder directly because you know that the transaction between you and the other entity would be securely recorded on the blockchain framework it cannot be tampered with and it cannot be removed it's written for eternity it's written in a way that's virtually it's incredibly hard to tamper with it so it's almost well nothing is fraud resistant but it's as fraud resistant as any it system gets so much less open to mistakes or interpretation that's correct and that's that happens by the virtue of the blockchain architecture which writes a transaction onto multiple nodes. And in order to write a transaction onto multiple nodes, you, you got to have, I guess, consensus between the two stakeholders, right? So even if, let's say, a fraudster was to try and tamper with that transaction, they would have to go onto each one of those blockchain nodes and then hack into them and try and tamper the uh, transaction that was Mm -hmm. written. So it's incredibly hard to do that. So blockchain, by the virtue of its architecture and the fact that it's cryptographically secure, enables or provides that level of security, which organizations today are finding a huge blessing because they they can replace those intermediary systems or intermediary brokers that were just there because they needed to have a trusted authority in the middle. So you are on the, or you're actually the co-chair of the CompTIA Blockchain Council. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. What type of folks are on that council and what is your mission? What are you guys, are you guys looking at how blockchain is going to impact the channel in particular? That is our key focus, Rob. So I'm incredibly privileged to be a part of the CompTIA Blockchain Advisory Council. was extremely honored to be selected as one of the two chairpeople for that council. There are collectively about 20 folks on the council, and they are essentially all senior practitioners of blockchain from across the country that have either had implementations of blockchain or are in the field of education of blockchain are influencing blockchain in some way or capacity in their organization. So they're all respected voices and practitioners of blockchain for their own industries. And we have a mixed bag. We have people that are doing this for the supply chain, for the telecom industry, for the entertainment industry. I guess the use case, the number of use cases that we as a group are collectively across is over 40 plus you know, touches on a number of different verticals. 
to the second part of your question, which is what is it that we're doing in the Comptia mm-hmm. Council? What's our agenda? So our agenda is to create awareness about blockchain through creating white papers and snackable size brochures and prospectors to dispel the misconceptions people have about blockchain. Our other goal is to also create standards and and industry best practices around it. So we are doing all kinds of collateral that would hopefully help new practitioners of blockchain to understand what are some of those good practices? What are some of those best industry practices and standards that they should be following when they start using a blockchain platform? Our third focus is to create uh, training courses and educational content around blockchain. So we're doing different types of uh, content, which would be made available through channels like YouTube and uh, the CompTIA website, obviously, and also through some of the social media frameworks. Well, let's start with the first one, misperceptions. What are some of the common biggest misperceptions about blockchain? Well, the biggest thing that comes to comes to the fore is... As I mentioned earlier, people equating it with the cryptocurrency. So unless you have really tried to understand what blockchain is, you know, when people hear about blockchain, they usually associate it with cryptocurrency. So that's the biggest uh, fallacy and the biggest misconception. The other prominent misconceptions are a lot of people try to equate this or use blockchain like any other web technology. And and that's really not. I just want to dwell on that for a minute, Rob, if that's okay. So while any organization today, when they are developing their web application or their IT systems, they go through about that process through that SDLC process, the software development lifecycle process in a certain in a certain methodology, right? Irrespective of whether they're following the, the conventional waterfall methodology or agile methodology, it invariably comes down to you know the business giving the requirements to the IT team and the IT team going away almost in isolation and developing the platform, right? And blockchain does not work like that. So let me just elaborate a right. little bit by giving you a couple of examples. So I talked about how blockchain can eliminate that third-party intermediary that's there just for facilitating the trade or transaction between two entities. When you take away that third party and you are now going to the other stakeholder or the other peer in that transaction, the workflow changes, right? So think of the impact of that change, right? Think of especially in organizations where they have teams that have been dedicated to dealing with that third party, which could be a financial institution or or a bank or whatever, those teams are now going to be not relevant for, for that purpose, right? Because these two peers are talking directly and trading directly, right? So those two, that team that's dedicated to facilitate that trade with a third party intermediary would now need to be mm-hmm. repurposed or retrained onto something else, right? So it is much bigger than just a technology project. The power or the magic of blockchain can only be fully unleashed if the entire organization, and I believe you know, it, it has to come from the top, that the blessings have to come from the senior management 
if the blockchain project gets that blessing, there are, you know, the chances of the success of that project go up exponentially because, as I said to you, that workflow changes, the jobs and the job descriptions across the board changes. So it has a much deeper, much profound impact than your average technology project. Yeah. And what you're describing, that change management that's required, that disruption and the need for executive approval or not just approvals, total support at the executive level. Our listeners are very familiar with that because that sounds like the channel. You got it. You got it. Yes. When you introduce a channel program into a company that's going direct, boy, there's a lot of disruption and, and executive sponsorship that you need. So that's an interesting comment. And we explored that exact topic for several months when we were evaluating the right uh, technology for the application we were building. We, we called that application Maxcentive, and it was an application that was being built to facilitate the payment of commissions. Let's dive into that. Tell us what was the pain that you were trying to solve? You had a very specific use case and, and a problem in the channel that you're solving with Maxcentive. Yeah. So as you know, Rob, channel is characterized by a very complex ecosystem, right? Often multiple entities are involved in a single transaction in the channel. There could be master agents, MSPs, agents, agent managers, and each entity gets a part of the commission or the revenue based right. on their role in that deal, right? So multiple stakeholders and invariably, the relationship between those stakeholders is not clearly defined. You know, the contracts are paper-based and they are ambiguous. They talk about, you know, the commission percentage for a, a different for for a, for a product or product category from a vendor, but it doesn't really drill down into the real-life scenarios, right? So the contracts can get ambiguous. Uh, the other thing is disputes, right? When a when a dispute arises in the channel. The part of the reason for that dispute is the contract's ambiguity. The disputes are often result in terrible experiences related to arguments, lengthy delays, expensive mediations, and sometimes um, they're never settled, right? So they're not just delayed, they're, they're never settled. And so it, it leads to a lot of negativity and bad sure. blood uh, amongst all the stakeholders. The other thing is it's incredibly hard due to the complexity of the channel, of this complex channel environment that I just articulated. It's not always easy to track business partners' performance over a period of time. And because it's hard to track you know, analytically who your good business trading partners are, it is not always easy to reward them consistently and fairly, right? And for, for that reason, you find some of the use cases like loyalty, for example, right? I fly with United, I shop at a certain grocery chain, and I get loyalty points from my airlines and my grocery store, and also almost all the touch points I have in that consumer world. But in the channel, there's hardly any loyalty program that has gained mass adoption, right? And the reason for that is exactly what I just mentioned, that the complex business environment, which makes it incredibly hard for an organization to track the performance of their trading partners over time. So we were aware, we have been a channel company for a while, so we were aware of all these problems. We found that while we were building our new commissions platform, we found you know, there's a certain benchmark which is very low because the agents who 
work off commissions, they are used to encountering all these disputes. They're used to encountering settlement delays, right, for all the reasons I mentioned earlier. So we started researching on on what would be the right technology to deliver a solution that raises that benchmark. It not just provides a, a quicker settlement, but also lowers the the ticket volumes that that arise from mm-hmm. these commission related disputes and also enables us to reward our our good uh, trading partners through loyalty rewards or right. um, you know favorable terms and that's when approximately two years ago I stumbled onto blockchain and it was just the right fit for for this this application and this platform we discovered so all the all the problems I articulated earlier we discovered blockchain had a solution for them for example I touched on the complex ecosystem blockchains decentralized architecture is is built to deal with the complexity of the channel ecosystem. The reasons are, as I mentioned earlier, it facilitates trade between two peers. So any any channel transaction that touches multiple stakeholders, like the master agents, agent manager, agent, sub-agent, and the end customer, and obviously the vendor who supplied the product, that is mm-hmm. treated as one transaction in the channel. Okay, But when you build your platform on top of blockchain, it breaks it down into two peers. So the vendor to the master agent is one transaction. The master agent to the agent manager is another transaction, right? So it breaks it down into multiple peers, and then it can be stitched together. And you could have you could have any number of peers in a macro transaction, and then it breaks it down into each sub-transaction. Exactly. Absolutely. I also touched on ambiguous contracts. Blockchain has this component called the smart contracts, which... I believe is it's much bigger than just the technology because it affects profound change in how the businesses operate and configure the terms of the contract. So uh, the tradition is that the entities sign a paper-based contract, which can be uploaded onto their CRM, but it's still a paper-based contract, right? So the terms of the contract are not always coded in the systems. This blockchain component of smart contracts allows us to encode the terms of that contract into the platform. And when the trading starts happening, and if the terms of that contract are met, settlement can take place instantaneously. So understand the power of that component, Rob. Today, the norm is for the sales agents to submit their sales orders and then wait for you know, at least a month, maybe even beyond that, during which time the the service gets installed, the vendor gets notified, and the vendor usually waits a month for the commission run to happen, and they then pay their sales agent. Yeah. And that's the best case scenario, right? If a dispute arises, you know, they're looking at a three, four, five, six month delay, right? Now, Compare that to the scenario that is made possible by smart contracts. When the terms of that transaction are fulfilled as per the contract, settlement can happen instantaneously. So imagine the power of this 
of this component and the huge positive upside it will have for everybody in the channel not just the agents but you know everybody because it's forcing the stakeholders to remove that ambiguity since you have to write you have to write the term clearly into the smart contract you are forced to do some critical thinking and i'm not saying the disputes arose because the ambiguity was deliberate it's always been like that. It, it has been like that for ages. So you're talking about almost instantaneous payment to that agent or whoever, whatever the party is in that transaction. Absolutely. I'm talking about instantaneous settlement as soon as the terms of the contract are met, right? Now, if the business wanted to throw some checks and balances so the money is not you know, deposited into the agents without that check and balance, they can do that. So I'm not saying it's, it, you know, while it facilitates real-time settlement, it also allows you to, to have some checks and balances, which could be manual. You can, you can have your commissions administrator, you know, just doing your, their um, visual inspection or, or validations through reports and whatnot. So there is some balance uh, that can still be retained, especially for those people who are new to this and, you know, because it will take them time to build that confidence to allow for that uh, real-time settlement. But the technology allows that. So Yeah, and that's huge. I, I remember, Naraj, talking with an advisor around, we were setting up some channel incentives. And I remember her telling me that the closer you can get the payment of that incentive to the action that you're trying to get from that partner, the more impactful it's going to be. And many times we have rebates and commissions and they're months or more delayed from the actual action. And by then they've forgotten about it. So it's really not changing and driving the behavior that you want. That's correct. And the last two points, which I believe would be huge for the channel are, in addition to the quick settlement, there's also consensus amongst the stakeholders because of the clarity that's now enforced by the smart contracts. And the fact that blockchain is enabling the peer-to-peer -peer transactions by doing away for the need of that middleman, it also drives the cost of that yeah. trade significantly down, right? So, so uh, because you don't need the middleman, which usually operate by taking a transaction fee or, or a percentage of the, of the transaction value, because you do away from that, in addition to the quick settlement, yeah. the cost gets cheaper, right? And it also facilitates global trade, uh, irrespective of the currency, because location truly does not matter. So if you have built your platform on top of your blo blockchain framework, and as long as you're keeping the, you know, the tax regimes in mind with the places you're trading with and the currency conversions, you can virtually have global trade facilitated by this platform. And the last thing I would like to talk about on this topic is the good analytics and yeah. loyalty that, that it facilitates. So as I spoke about earlier, blockchain is persistent and it's hard to tamper with. So the channel can really leverage the knowledge stored in this inalterable, immutable repository blockchain to identify their good trading partners. And once they have identified who their good trading partners is, it's half the battle won because they can then put programs in place to reward them through loyalty benefits, repeat business, favorable terms and whatnot, as there is a bigger probability of success in working with them, right? So this insight on who to collaborate with and who to reward for their, for their loyalty and support 
can be invaluable. And I believe it creates a huge positive environment all around. Yeah, very interesting. I'm curious, you mentioned smart contracts. Is there Are there smart contract vendors that you go to, or is this just open source code that you leveraged in building your application? So smart contracts, so there's a lot of options for smart contracts. There's a bunch of uh, blockchains that have that come with pre-integrated smart contracts components. For example, Hyperledger, which is open source, but IBM has, has a version of Hyperledger that's called Fabric that's proprietary to them and and you know it comes with the smart contract as does the open source hyperledger there's also ethereum which is another open source platform that has the smart contract component and there is a bunch of other components both in the open source as well as the proprietary world which are both a part of a blockchain framework or can also be you know utilized as a standalone uh, Ripple is one such which comes to mind. If I'm not mistaken, I think their smart contract development was stopped a couple of years ago, but they used to do both the standalone smart contracts and also a part of as part of a blockchain. But there are multiple options, Rob. And now a lot of companies are coming up with very niche, very focused, almost vertical or industry-focused blockchain mm-hmm. frameworks that come pre-integrated with smart contracts. So there's a lot of options available. Where are we at in kind of the state of blockchain development, making it you know readily available for developers to, to start building something? Look, that's a very important question. And I believe everybody who's contemplating about using blockchain should be aware of the current status. So in my work with the CompTIA Blockchain Advisory Council and you know having spoken to a bunch of other industry leaders in the in the blockchain industry i believe we are still some time away from a state where i guess blockchain is able to offer the same level of user experience that most conventional web technologies today yeah. are so the the user experience at the moment is not up to that benchmark. The other thing is there is still some scarcity of blockchain experts. And I'm not just talking about coders here. I'm I'm talking about people who truly understand blockchain's architecture and who are good with the functionality and how to effect a profound change in their organization's workflow by the use of of that technology. So that that is a specialized skill and there's you know a scarcity of those resources. The other thing is the interoperability of blockchains. So there are lots of blockchains, as I I spoke about a couple of minutes ago, but at the moment, if two systems that have been built by using two different blockchains, if those two systems have to interact with each other, it's it's a lot Mm -hmm. of work. You got to integrate those two distinct blockchains by doing a custom integration project. The standards currently do not exist to facilitate or to allow the interoperability of between different blockchains. The other big thing which prevents it from getting you know, to that stage of mass adoption, Rob, is the fact that a lot of people, you know, they, they, they do not understand the power. So it's about education. It's about them really understanding how disruptive this technology can yeah. get. So a lot of people have their organization and their, you know, their organizational structures and their workflows built around the use of those intermediaries that are used just because they provided, they play the role of that trusted 
broker. So a lot of people are not aware that they can do away with with that uh, architecture by embracing blockchain. So you know the education aspect is huge, and that's one of the things we are focusing heavily on at at CompTIA. Right. And are universities starting to teach this? Are there students coming out with you know blockchain development experience or knowledge? It's still early days. There are some universities I'm familiar with a program at my local university here, UT at Austin, Mm -hmm. which has, they don't have a dedicated course on blockchain, but they do teach basics of blockchain through their software engineering courses and also some of their master's courses. But this technology is so new and it's only been on the scene for a few years that it will be some time before the universities adopt it. So I'm finding that when we go and try and recruit people who especially young professionals who who are straight out of the universities or, or have had you know just one or two years experience, we virtually have to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. We have to teach them the basics of blockchain and build on top of their previous knowledge of other other web technologies and IT systems. But I'm confident as we get more success stories, more successful use cases that are using blockchain, I'm sure like any other technology, blockchain would start getting a lot of favors in the colleges and universities across the country. Yeah, I would think so. So going back to use cases, you know, I'm just thinking about the channel and the different channel tools and channel technologies that we have today and the challenges that we have with those systems. But you think about, you know, allocating and paying MDF or allocating Mm -hmm. other types of incentives, not just rebates, but could be deal registration. And that's always fraught with challenges and disputes. There are so many areas, I think, where what you describe the benefits of blockchain and what it can do for you seems like there are a ton of great channel applications for it. Yeah, look, I strongly believe blockchain is going to be huge in the channel in the next few years. All the use cases you touched on are, you know, would be great use cases to build on top of blockchain and we are eagerly looking to to get to that stage we have built maxcentive and we are now doing some friendly trials of maxcentive with with a few companies but we are already thinking about some of these use cases that you touched on and besides these there's a whole heap of other use cases that would be would be made possible they didn't you know they were not popular in the channel earlier because it was either so complex or or so expensive to have them but by the virtue of this technology they'll get you know more traction and i'm not even talking about the traditional telecom i'm talking about different aspects such as digital rights management mm. digital identity that's huge uh, supply chain management right we we i've heard some very interesting use cases in the supply chain industry anything to do with clearing and settlement, anything to do with legal contracts, programmable legal contracts, anything to do with trading anything of value, you know, financial asset management, crowdfunding, internet of things, reward, loyalty, incentive schemes, insurance, digital voting, distributed trading, even, you know, any kind of workflow management, all these use cases are ripe to be disrupted by the use of blockchain. Yeah. And with the pace of innovation, it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out because we don't know what people are developing right now to, that are going to massively disrupt things. That's correct. And Maxenov is one of them. So we can't wait to, to see more about that. And you're, are you, you said you're testing it right now. It's not 
GA? It's not publicly launched yet? No, it's not publicly launched yet, Rob. We have launched it to a few friendly companies um, to, I guess, mature some of the processes and, and eliminate some of the bugs that crop up invariably when you complete the development on a platform. But we are aiming for completing that process within the next couple of months, and then we'll decide on a launch date. Okay, very cool. We'll be waiting for that. Well, very fascinating stuff, Niraj. We've got a couple more minutes. Let's let's find out a little bit more about you. So okay. you've had an interesting journey. First off, where were you born? You were come from India, right? I was born in New Delhi, India, and I, yes, the capital of India, I was born and bred there. And then I moved to New Zealand when I was 19, probably end of, yeah, probably beginning of uh, maybe 20 years of age, somewhere around that to pursue my master's. I, I did my software engineering from India, and then I went to New Zealand to do my master's. And Within the first semester, I got bored with the with the theoretical aspects of the master's course, and I dropped out and I started working. And New Zealand's been home for the last well, 20 plus years now. But I, I went into the telecom industry and I worked with the biggest telecom company in New Zealand, the equivalent of AT&T there, you know, had some interesting experiences, which led me to a lot of other places across the globe where I set up phone companies. So I've set up phone companies in places like New Zealand, Australia, uh, Saudi Arabia, and I've been doing a virtual telecom company, virtual telco company through, through Concordus applications here in the U.S. So I've been to a lot of places, predominantly setting up the, the the mobile and the telecom companies. But I met with Dan and Jeff a few years ago at one of the technology events where I was a speaker, and they heard me speak about my previous employer and, and what I had done with them. So basically, I had set up a phone company in New Zealand called Two Degrees Mobile. I was a co-founder of Two Degrees Mobile. We started building it in 2008 with nothing except for five of us and a printer. And we launched in August 2009, so about 18 months after 18 months of building it. And as an, as an startup company, we faced all kinds of usual constraints related to money, related to lack of resources. You know, so we went through all of that and built the phone company and launched it in August 2009. And between August 2009 and I, I guess second part of 2014, so about five years after launch, we had nearly 23% of the country's population using our network and a valuation that was close to a billion dollars. And that was a huge success story. There was only one regret. While I'm very proud of having built a billion dollar company and you know growing it into into a national level telecom player that it is now i wasn't wise enough to ask for a big enough stake <laughs> so <laughs> otherwise you'd be uh, retired in austin I'll, I'll be retired in austin and probably sailing on a yacht somewhere in the <laughs> mediterranean <laughs> <laughs> well that's still a, still a huge accomplishment so as you were traveling around to interesting places putting in phone systems. Any fun adventures? Yeah, look, I had a lot of fun adventures. So both me and my wife are, we love traveling and we love interacting with different cultures and we're both foodies. The unique thing about our travels was it wasn't driven by, you know, the pursuit of interesting architectures or um, 
uh, natural wonders. It was driven by the pursuit of food. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I remember this trip to Egypt that we went on, and we, you know, did all modes of transport. We we went on trains, and you know, we went on buses, and also took a cruise, like a small boat, small cruise ship from the top of the country in a place called Aswan uh, down to Luxor, which is, I think, in the middle of Egypt. So we, we did all modes of transport and we went to, obviously, the world-famous uh, pyramids of Gizeh. Mm-hmm. And we, we had one look at it, but our interest was in sampling the delicacies in the market next to it. So, <laughs> oh, Okay, we saw the pyramids. Where's the food? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that, that, there's been a lot of fun, interesting experiences we had around food in our travels through through that region. It's funny, you know, I think a lot of times we think about places we've been and we what comes to mind is what we ate, something memorable <laughs> that we ate there. Yeah. I was I ran into my neighbor this morning and she had just gotten back from Greece and she was right. on she was on the Greek islands and and the first thing that came to mind I remembered waking up every morning and having this delicious fresh yogurt with honey. <laughs> that she sounds like my kind of person I'm, <laughs> I'm like that all my memories are related to food as well recently um did this exercise with the kids the kids are home because of summer holidays so we we did this exercise with them recently where we you know created a list of all the countries that we have visited between us i had never done that exercise before so i was blown away when the sum total went to 51. So, wow. So I guess it won't be an exaggeration to say I'm well-traveled. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's a pretty common theme, Niraj, of people that I interview on this show. A lot of international travelers who, who love going out and seeing new places. I think we're all pretty curious and adventurous. Yep, absolutely. And you know, it just broadens your horizons. I absolutely love it. And not that... just for the food aspect, that's probably the number <laughs> one, but even otherwise. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much. Before we go, any final thoughts, any recommendations or calls to action for folks that are out there that you know are hearing what we're talking about and saying, oh, man, I, I would really love to dive into this. I would just like to reiterate what, what I mentioned earlier and just say that blockchain offers a huge opportunity for disruption. A lot of industries, a lot of use cases that are traditionally slow, you know, heavily people-based and based around those third parties are going to get disrupted by the by the virtue of using this this architecture. But it is not a silver bullet for every use case, right? So if people are considering using blockchain, they have to carefully consider the relevance of, of this technology for their application, for their use case. Uh, it's not just the technology, by the way, it's the appetite for going for a huge quantum of change in their organization, which needs to be considered. Yeah. As I mentioned earlier, it's more than the, the technology. The, the change that's affected by the use of blockchain touches all the departments, all the functions in an organization and changes the way they carry out their business in a very fundamental and profound way. I believe it changes for the better, but they, you know, each organization has a certain capacity to to taking that that amount of change at the the risk that invariably comes with that. So it yeah. needs to be carefully considered. Yeah, and are you the disruptor or the disrupted? You got it. <laughs> All right, Naraj. <laughs> oh, and the CompTIA training is that out yet, or when do you expect to have some of that out there? 
on CompTIA? Sometime in the third quarter. So we have built the content, we have we have reviewed the content, and now it's going through the final review process, and then it will be built to the standards, to the high standards that CompTIA usually builds it at. So the content has been written, and now it's going through that build process. So sometime in the third quarter of this year. All right, excellent. We'll be watching out for that. We'll be watching out for for your new product, Maxenov, and Mm -hmm. I hope to chat with you again soon. I absolutely look forward to it. It was great talking to you, Rob, and I would love to connect with you in person as well at some stage. Oh, I hope so. Absolutely. All right, we'll have a great summer in Austin. You too. Thanks. Hey guys, that is very cool stuff. A shout out to Niraj for great tips on blockchain. I'm looking forward to the launch of Maxenov and see how that takes off. And it's going to be fun to see other ways that blockchain gets applied in the channel. And are you going to be a disruptor or one of the disrupted? You can get all of the highlights for today's podcast in the show notes. Those are on my website at channeljourneys.com backslash CJ29. And do me a favor, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. I'd love your help on my mission to develop the channel profession through the sharing of tips and trends like you heard today. And I'd love to get your feedback on the podcast, what you like, where you listen to it. It's really fun getting comments from folks and the audience is growing around the world. Just last week, I got a note from Wangui in Kenya. Wangui, I hope I didn't butcher your name, but She sent me a very nice note about enjoying the podcast, and it's just really fun to get those. And it really pumps me up to hear that you guys are enjoying the show. We've got a lot more channel movers and shakers coming up in future episodes, including a high-profile channel expert next week. So until then, have an awesome channel journey. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, Please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure.